welcome to the Personality Psychology Podcast. My name is Lisa Lander Moore, and I'm today's host. In this episode, we will have a debate about two broad personality trait models. Traits have been used to capture semi-stable differences in personality between people, combining tendencies of thinking, feeling, and acting into broader domains such as one's tendency to be sociable, active, and lively, which is captured by how extroverted people are. In this field, two models of these broader domains dominate, the Big Five model and the Hexaco model. Today, I'm joined by four experts on the history, theory, and empirical use of these models. Welcome, Colin DeYoung. Hi there. Isabel Thielman. Hello. Luke Smiley. Hello, it's great to be here. And Reinhard Tefries. Hi, uh, Lisanne. So today we're going to talk about personality traits and personality trait models. Before we dive into that, I was wondering if you could briefly introduce yourselves, maybe tell us a bit about the work that you're doing, and also your stance in the Big Five versus Hexaco debate that we're going to have today. I can start. So I'm Colin DeYoung, and uh, I'm at the University of Minnesota in the psychology department. And uh, I study the structure and sources of personality, and I'm particularly interested in uh, neuroscience and the neurobiological basis of different personality traits. Um, and I tend to use the big five in my own research, although I don't think that there is really a right or wrong answer about uh, which you should use the big five versus Hexaco. I'm happy to go next. Um, my name is Isabel Thielmann. Um, I'm an independent research group leader at the Max Planck Institute for the Study of Crime, Security and Law in Freiburg in Germany. I primarily study individual differences in pro-social and ethical behavior versus unethical behavior. And particularly given that focus, I'm actually in, in favor or primarily using the Hexaco model, given uh, its advantages in this realm of behavioral criteria. But I guess we will go into that um, in more detail during this podcast session. And I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I'm Luke Smiley. I'm at the University of Melbourne in Australia in the psychology department there. I have a range of research interests. Probably the area that I've done most work on concerns extroversion and reward sensitivity. But I'm also interested in ethical and pro-social behavior as well, like uh, Isabel. And for a lot of my work, I use the big five, but I also use measures of the HEXCO in, in some areas, such as when uh, studying pro-social and uh, ethical behavior. My name is uh, Reinhard de Vries. I'm at the uh, Vrije Universiteit uh, Amsterdam, and I study also the structure of personality, its assessment also with different techniques. Been using lexical studies also to uncover structure of communication styles and uh, now working on leadership, but also sports personality. And I'm also interested, of course, in the outcomes of and development and heritability of personality of it, on which I've done also some studies. And what would you say is your stance in the in the debate today? Yeah, so I've, I've been using the Hexaco primarily or almost exclusively for my studies. As I mentioned, we're going to talk a lot about these two models, the Big Five and the Hexaco. But before we dive into the models, I want to start out with a broader question. This question might also uh, be very important for our, our listeners, because the question is primarily, why do you think that we should care at all about this trade approach and, and, and these models of, of personality traits? Why are they important? Why should we care about the discussion of Big Five versus Hexaco? 
So I think one of the important reasons that people might care about these questions uh, is just that we have to decide what to study when we're studying personality. And prior to the development and adoption of the Big Five in the 1980s, there was really no agreement about what were the most important traits to focus on and how to uh, measure personality. And people have made the analogy to the Tower of Babel. Like every different personality researcher used a different system and had a different set of traits that they were interested in. And it made it very difficult to do any kind of cumulative science because you couldn't tell whether my results were uh, related at all or congruent or not congruent with you know Luke's results or anyone else's results because everybody had their own different system. And so the big five when it emerged was incredibly helpful for generating productive science in personality psychology because then suddenly everyone was using the same system and there was also a system that you could take even previous results with alternative models and map it onto the big five so you could start to see whether there was some agreement and build up a cumulative set of results. And then Hexaco comes along later basically as a debate about whether there might be a slightly better representation of a general model of the main factors of personality as opposed to the big five. Okay, so your argument is that we should care about this trait approach and also models of traits because it helps us build a, a cumulative science. Fundamentally, yes. I agree that having some common framework is the most important um, aspect of having some kind of model of so-called basic traits, uh, whether you're relying on the Big Five or the Hexaco. And the discussion about Big Five versus Hexaco is similarly useful for clarifying their similarities and their differences and where each might be useful. That's what I see as being most useful as opposed to debates about which of the two we might prefer. Currently, I don't think that's the most useful aspect of the discussion, um, but I certainly think it's useful to compare them very closely because we've now got two frameworks that are used relatively widely. They're both useful for that facilitating cumulative science, as, as Colin points out, but because they look superficially very similar, but there are some important distinctions between them, and uh, the discussion is useful for drawing those out. Yeah, I totally agree with uh, what the two of you already said. I would like to add one point, uh, one further benefit that I see as one of the advantages of these trait models, and this is basically prediction. Because if we have quite broad personality factors that cover various traits, we can actually predict behaviors in the same area, in the same realm, even though we might have not observed that particular behavior in a person. But simply by knowing that they have a particular score on a broad trait, we can actually make quite informed predictions also about other traits that are related uh, or under the same umbrella of these broad terms. And this is, I think, very useful also for predicting very rarely observed behaviors. So that is um, maybe really beyond the discussion of whether it's Big Five or Hexaco or whatever model. This is one of, in my view, the key advantages of these basic personality models. I, I generally agree. I, I think it's fundamentally important that we know uh, what's uh, the optimal structure, how we can parsimoniously uh, measure it to have as much as possible a comprehensive idea of what are the main uh, dimensions and also what are the main underlying facets. That's a, that's a different discussion. 
and uh, for development to, uh, to find out about development of these uh, dimensions throughout the life course, their heritability, their prediction of uh, important life outcomes and work outcomes. So for all areas, it's important that we have some form of agreement. And of course, we should state upfront that there is a, a large amount of agreement among personality psychologists which is uh, less the case in other areas of, of research. So we should be really glad about this uh, disagreement. However, I do think that uh, the difference between uh, Big Five and, and the Hexcow are important to, to settle or to discuss and, and to find out, have among ourselves, among personality psychologists, what's best to use in what situation. Well, that's, I, I think it's, first of all, an optimistic conclusion, I think, of, of why we should be having this debate in the first place. You all name very important reasons for why these traits are important and also why these, these models and the debate about which model in which situation is, is best is important. But I'm also very happy that you, Luke, uh, also mentioned that it shouldn't be about which model do we like best, but that it also has really merits to know which model simply functions better in certain situations. All right. So I think, Colin, you already mentioned a little bit about the history, at least of the Big Five. Um, and I think this is very important to know a bit about where these models come from to also understand why we're working with these models in the first place. So I was wondering, Colin and Luke, can you maybe tell us a, a brief overview of the history of how the Big Five came into being? Sure. Um, and there's an important sense in which the tradition that produced the Big Five is the same tradition that later produced uh, the Hexaco model, um, because it all goes back to the idea that uh, if we want to understand what are the major patterns of covariation among different traits, uh, then we need a relatively unbiased sampling of different traits that we're going to measure. And maybe just to say that in a little bit simpler terms, uh, personality the idea behind these broad personality traits is that we are looking for uh, patterns in people's behavior where uh, certain types of behavior tend to appear together within the same people. So, for example, we might observe that people who tend to be more talkative also tend to have more positive emotion and also tend to be more gregarious and outgoing uh, and also tend to be more physically active. And so there are all these patterns of association between these different specific personality traits. And that leads to the question, well, are there any kind of uh, really broad ways that we can summarize those patterns uh, into a smaller set of uh, these trait dimensions? Uh, like the Big Five or like Hexaco. And in order to answer that question, we need to use a statistical approach that's going to allow us to understand what these patterns of association are and whether they can be mapped onto some smaller number of dimensions. Uh, and that technique is factor analysis. I mean, that was the, that's the technique that's been largely used. And it was first developed oh, right at the beginning of the 20th century uh, in studying cognitive abilities. And, you know, the first factor discovered more or less was the G factor, general factor of intelligence. Uh, but then the idea was, can we also apply this to descriptions of people's personalities and see whether there is one or more factors in uh, the personality world? That happened because Raymond Cattell had studied with the inventor of factor analysis and then got a job at Harvard. And at Harvard, uh, there were Henry Murray and Gordon Alport 
And uh, they were some of the early researchers on personality, and both of them were kind of building up these lists of important personality traits. And Alport was one of the first people to go to the dictionary and to start with the natural language. That's why it's called the lexical approach. It's from the lexicon. And just to identify hundreds and even thousands of words that could be used to describe people's personality in the dictionary. And so they had these long lists of personality traits, but the question is, is there some smaller set of traits that represent how all those many traits go together? And Cattell then had the idea to apply factor analysis to those measurements of ratings of people's personality and to try to answer this question. But the one problem was that computers weren't invented yet. So the math was really intractable to do anything with a large number of variables. So the early work in factor analysis with personality was using really only, I don't know, th around 30 or so personality measurements or personality traits, and then looking to see how they how they went together. But the interesting thing is, even with just that relatively small set of variables in the 1940s and 50s, uh, several independent researchers identified a factor solution that looked very much like the Big Five. The roots of the Big Five really go all the way back to the late 1940s and 1950s. But then what really solidified the model and the sort of furthered or the research in this lexical domain was, uh, com was computation. So in the 1970s and 80s, as computers were becoming sufficiently powerful, a number of researchers, but probably most importantly, Lou Goldberg, started giving people to rate these very large lists of adjectives from the dictionary. And so, you know, people would just take each adjective and maybe it would say lazy and you rate yourself from strongly disagree to strongly agree. You get a number for each one of these and then you put it into factor analysis and uh, see what comes out. And again, he consistently found this uh, five-factor solution that what he called the big five. That's a great summary, Colin. I'll just add a few points to that or maybe emphasize a couple of points. The first two, I, I think, are pretty frequently misunderstood, or at least they seem to often be misunderstood to me. One is that uh, what's clear in what you've summarized there is that both the hexco, the motivation, but motivation behind what led to the big five and the hexco was fundamentally empirical process. The idea was to discover in a very bottom-up way what the fundamental dimensions of personality might be. And it's, it surprises me, given the history of the field, that in maybe outside of psychology, um, these models are seen as much more top-down conceptual models that just happen to be you know, one, one researcher's preferred idea for how personality should be carved up just happened to win out, which I think really overlooks, well, what's exciting, I suppose, about the, the Big Five and the, and the Hexco, that um, identifying and, and discovering these fairly robust solutions to this problem. Um, so that's one point that the, it's an empirical process. Another is that I think it's not as though personality psychologists are trying to just sort of whittle down personality trait descriptors to a short list. And so the big five kind of are personality. It's much more like trying to come up with a useful map for navigating trait space and identifying how that space is structured, what the dimensions of that map are, what the coordinates are that you might use to, to organize potentially an infinite number of descriptors. So I think that is sometimes misunderstood as well. So you can be say, a proponent of the big five, but maybe a lot of the traits that you're studying day to day are not big five traits. You might be interested in compassion or curiosity. I mean, they, they can be accommodated within the big five at a lower level in the hierarchy, but they're not among the, the five uh, traits. 
The other thing maybe to note is um, that if we view the big five and the five-factor model most associated, well, posed by Costa and McRae as essentially quite interchangeable or very, very similar, then you would add that the, the big five as opposed to the hexaco also draw on the questionnaire tradition as, a, as opposed to the lexical tradition, which is simply where the, the personality descriptors that you're subjecting to factor analysis are more um, lengthier descriptions of a person rather than just uh, lexical terms or adjectives to describe a person. Um, so there are a, a few points that I'd add to that. Yeah, actually, I have the same question, of course, for the Hexaco model. And I think Luke and, and Colin already uh, touched upon the early history of, of, of trade models in, in general. But I was wondering, what did the history and, and the path towards the Hexaco model look like, Isabel and Reinhardt? When uh, the, the Big Five model actually uh, started taking off in, in the 90s, and as Colin has explained, it was already there for a longer time, but it really started taking off after Goldberg's article uh, in 1990. There were a number of lexical studies done. Actually, in the Dutch context, uh, there was already a lexical study done, uh, actually in the 70s uh, already. But due to computational power, then uh, people could analyze actually these uh, lexical uh, data more adequately. And uh, also in the German context, and people at first uh, uh, use factor analysis and establish also that these five factors could be extracted from these uh, data sets. And then, of course, developments are, are sometimes more or less accidental. And what happened is that uh, Mike Ashton was, uh, he did his PhD, I, I think, with uh, Jackson and Pannonen, or at least he was at the University of Western Ontario. And uh, there he met a fellow PhD <clears throat> who was doing his PhD with Nathalie Allen from Korea, uh, Kibom Lee. They were discussing about uh, personality. And of course, uh, Kibom being from Korea said, well, uh, hey, we can uh, get data from Korea and find out whether Big Five can also be uh, found in a Korea data set because most of the studies have been done in the US and European context. And so the first uh, study outside this uh, European or uh, American context was done in Korea. And they did find uh, the big fight, but then they looked further than that. And actually they found fairly robust uh, sixth uh, factor, uh, honesty uh, factor. And so they thought, hey, is this typical for the Korean context that we find such a factor that's such uh, so well interpretable? And they started looking for the other data and the articles, uh, what they said. And uh, they noticed that the Raad in 1992, in the Dutch uh, data set, mentioned also a factor, a sixth factor that uh, resembled it. They they found out that also in the, in the, in the French uh, context, in a Polish context, and a German, it mentions these, uh, such a factor. So they started collecting these uh, data sets to find out whether indeed uh, if you analyze these data sets separately you find six factors and this resulted and, and actually uh, it's also a bit of personal uh, history because i met 
Kibom in Australia, in uh, where I worked at the University of Western Australia, and he was working there as well. And we started discussing, I have a personality psychology background, so we started discussing personality, and he said, hey, we find these six factors, but we haven't obtained the Dutch data set yet. Can you obtain the Dutch uh, data set? Uh, so, and I had studied with Bulledraat and Wim Hofstede, so I did. And actually, for, for myself also, this was an important experience because when we analyzed that data, that Dutch data, there was such a clear sixth factor uh, resembling the other factors uh, in the other lexical data, similar to the Italian, to the to the Polish, to the Hungarian, to the German, to the French. So, and that was published in the JPSP paper in 2004. And at the same time, uh, Mike and Kibom were working already on a questionnaire version. So uh, the lexical study was, of course, based on adjectives. And in the same year, they published uh, the first version of the hexagon personality inventory. They made a slight modification in 2006, in which uh, one of the, the facets of extraversion expressiveness was changed in, uh, for another facet that was more interstitial, but they rewrote uh, as a social self-esteem uh, facet and they incorporated an altruism interstitial uh, uh, facet in the newer version. And that's the Hexcar personality inventory revise. So with a slight modification that's been used as the full version and uh, uh, had two briefer versions, so a half-length version of uh, 100 items and a, a brief version with uh, 60 items. So that's basically the history of the Hexco model. Thank you very much, Reinhard, for this very detailed and enlightening summary. I think you're the best person to give that summary, actually. Um besides Kivom and, and Mike themselves. But maybe I can also add just a few things that I also think are important for, for the Hexaco model. And it also relates to what Luke previously said about the big five, namely that here again, it is rather um, a bottom-up approach, so an empirical approach. But what Mike uh, Ashton and Kibom Lee also did is to somehow ground it in a theory um, and to, to add some theoretical content also to the different factors. So what they also said about those those hexaco dimensions is that the three honesty, humility, agreeableness and emotionality are related to somehow um, to altruism, kin altruism, emotionality and also reciprocal altruism for honesty, humility and agreeableness, um, which relates to evolutionary science. So they actually backed up those factors by um, a theoretical basis that was already there in another discipline. And they interpreted the other three factors in terms of engagement in different areas. So, um, for example, idea-related uh, engagement, I think, was for openness, task-related engagement for conscientiousness, and social engagement for extroversion. We also have, again, a bottom-up approach, but we also have some top-down content or, or information added to that. I think it's really interesting to hear about where these models come from and also and I think this is in line with Luke said at the start that it's good to know that they have a lot of similarities, both in where they come from, but also in, in how they were developed and in their goals. And that's uh, ultimately maybe what the discussion is about is uh, is only a, a small part of a, of a very large part that we agree on. Now that we have a bit of a sense of where these models come from and, and what they entail, 
I want to dive more into into the models and and the arguments for and against them. And I would like to start with discussing uh, what you think are the strongest arguments uh, for uh, one or the other model. Uh, but I would like to do that by mixing things up a little bit. So I want to ask the people who are more in favor of uh, of the one model to actually give the arguments for the other model. And of course, uh, the people who were in favor of a model are completely free to, to add on to that. Uh, but I think it's a good thought experiment, uh, so to say. So we'll start with the Hexaco model. And so I want to ask Luke and Colin, try to reflect on what you think are the strongest arguments for the Hexaco model. Um, yeah. I mentioned that I tend to use the hexago in the context of work on processiality and uh, work more related to, to moral psychology. And the argument for the hexago that I've always found compelling is I've read it mostly as laid out by Gerard Saucier that a lot of lexical terms relating to ethical behavior and ethical conduct were uh, excluded historically, not entirely, but less well represented, I should say, in the work that led to the big five. There's this long history of evaluative terms being regarded as somehow not related to personality traits or, or shouldn't be included in these lexical studies. That was, those terms were better represented in the work that led to the hexaco. And I think if you just look at the questionnaires, the models per se, but just the questionnaires that are used to assess the, the hexaco and the big five, I think it's fair that the hexaco does have uh, better coverage of those aspects of, of personality. So I've, I've personally been um, uh, quite persuaded by that argument in favour of the hexaco, and that's why I tend to include the hexaco measures whenever I and doing research relating to pro-social moral behaviors. I think that the strongest argument in favor of the uh, Hexaco or six-factor model over the big five is that uh, that six-factor solution is more replicable across different languages than the five-factor solution is. For people who are really dedicated to the lexical approach, which is that they want to start with descriptions from many different languages and within the context of each, each language, uh, identify those trait descriptions and then understand the factor structure within that language, then the uh, six-factor model applies to more languages than the five-factor model. But it's also interesting to note that there are actually other solutions with even fewer factors that apply even more widely than the six-factor or hexaco model. Uh, so Saussure has shown that the most widely replicable factor solution across many different languages is actually a two-factor solution. Factors that he refers to, I think, as uh, social propriety and dynamism. So I think the main argument in favor of Hexaco is just that if you are really committed to the lexical approach, then it fulfills the criteria of the lexical approach better than the big five model does. But I want to interject one thing here that's come up in the last, in the last couple of answers, which is that I think we have to be really careful to distinguish between three different things. First, there is the model itself, which is basically you know, it's a factor solution. It is essentially saying that there are these patterns of covariation among personality descriptors. Um, and that is different from the questionnaire measures that are developed then to assess those models. 
So it's funny because I will often have people ask me like, well, what, what's the big five measure? And I say, well, what do you mean? What's the big five measure? There are hundreds of them. There are literally hundreds of different measures you can use to measure the big five. But people tend to think that when you say, oh, this is, this is a personality model, that that means it corresponds to one particular questionnaire, right? In the same way that when people talk about like the MBTI, um, you know, the Myers-Briggs, you know, that popular old model that is actually not very scientifically valid, it corresponds to a single questionnaire that, you know, that Myers-Briggs type inventory, the whole model is built around one questionnaire. And so people assume that the same thing is going to be true with these models like the Big Five and Hexaco. Now with Hexaco, it's true that there are fewer different questionnaires used to measure it as compared to the Big Five, but nonetheless, there's still an important difference between the model itself and the specific questionnaire that's used. So that's one important distinction. And then a third distinction would be one that came up when talking about this idea of theories, right? Because you can also have a theory of why that model might exist or might be valuable and what might explain the existence of those traits. And that's another interesting question, but also really kind of a separate one. So uh, Ashton and Lee developed a theory to explain the six factor model uh, the, their hexaco model. Similarly, other people, included, including myself, have developed theories to explain the big five traits and those models. But I think it's important to keep those three things separate. And so, you know, when I'm saying what's the best evidence for the hexaco model, I'm thinking particularly just about that six factor solution and the fact that it appears in more languages than the five factor solution does. Yes, thank you. I think that's indeed, like you mentioned, a very relevant distinction, all three of them. And of course, they are related, but they are indeed different uh, issues. I completely agree, but it's also important to know that usually we as personality psychologists, what we do to make those latent variables observable is to actually use questionnaires. So of course, they are closely linked to the concepts that we want to measure. And of course, we always want to draw conclusions on the level of the constructs of the concepts and not um, of the scales in and of itself. Although, of course, we should always also evaluate findings in terms of the measures that we used to assess uh, the, the concepts under scrutiny, but um, we usually tend to actually draw conclusions on the construct level rather than the level of manifest observed um, variables. That's exactly right. And that's part of why I generally tend to think that there's not a good reason to fight so hard about, you know, which is better, the big five or the hexaco, because when we're dealing at the construct level, we can integrate any of these constructs into either system. From that perspective, then it just becomes a matter of which one prefers for certain particular purposes in research. Well, maybe I, I do not agree fully. I mean, uh, that, the question is, of course, and uh, you probably agree with me that in, in some instances you can better use one or and maybe also the other model because uh, the, the outcomes that you're like that you want to measure is. Uh, is actually uh, had that model better captures uh, those kind of variables. Like uh, the Hexcarl model has been shown to uh, to better predict variables that are associated with deviant, uh, counterproductive, even criminal behaviors than does uh, had uh, the Big Five model, especially with uh, many of the instruments that are around to measure the Big Five model. Uh, but that's not uh, the only reason, of course. 
why you would sometimes like to prefer to use the, the hexaco model. In general, of course, you want to use a model. If, if you want to use a model with the overarching model, uh, you want to measure the broad uh, domains. And of course, for certain variables, you can just pick and choose from, from either the big five or the hexaco models, which variables are important for uh, the particular outcomes that you select. But if you want to capture everything to be able to ensure that you're not missing out on other variables or to control for other variables, then it's necessary to, to be able to capture the full range of personality. And in that sense, then... Uh, and most often uh, the hexcall model and its questionnaire measure most often i'm not saying uh, uh, always outperforms uh, the big five uh, model but see this is exactly where i think we have to be very careful to distinguish between the questionnaire and the model yeah uh, because i you know i fully agree with you if we just take certain standard questionnaires and if especially if people are only measuring either five factors or six factors then there are certain cases where one or the other model is going to be more effective for prediction um, but earlier, you also talked about facets, and right, and so it's important to remember that uh, for each one of these models, whether it's five or six, it's not like only five or only six, because we can break each of them down into many more uh, sub-dimensions. And so as long as we have enough time to uh, give people lengthier questionnaires, we can measure things at the facet level as well, and we can get you know the same kind of resolution from both models. Just as one example in uh, Costa and McRae's NEO personality inventory, uh, there are facets of modesty and straightforwardness that correspond quite well to concepts of humility and, uh, and honesty. Uh, the way I see it is that as long as we're thinking about the model, then you can use either model and you just have to make sure that you are measuring the right facets and the right set of scales to capture the things that you're interested in. Um, but yes, if you're interested in uh, only measuring a shorter number of things and you just want either five or, or six, uh, then you have to think carefully more about the content and which one you want to use. I think I agree and disagree in some respects. You're totally right that, of course, if we, for example, use the NEO-PIR or, or any longer measure, it, it might not make a strong or, or great difference whether it's a big five or hexaco-based measure. But I think as soon as we get back to the broader factors and as soon as we aggregate across items to actually get some score, for example, of agreeableness, then it does make a difference. Because for example, if you aggregate the agreeableness items in a NEO-PAR questionnaire to one broad factor, and you try to use that to predict, say, pro-social behavior and different kinds of pro-social behavior, you will have a worse prediction than if you, do, if you use the same items and actually classify them according to the hexaco framework in honesty, humility related and agreeableness related items. Because then you can actually distinguish between active and reactive elements of pro-social behavior. And so this actually gets lost when you mix these items up in a very broad agreeableness factor. So I think the measurement and the theory are always intertwined because of course, based on the theory, you will decide how to aggregate certain measures into scales, scale scores, or even latent variables that you will then use to predict your outcome criteria or whatever you're interested in. I think I agree with what Isa has just said, but I would say I agree in particular contexts. So I think the context you chose, uh, pro-social behavior, um, I agree entirely. But there are other contexts where I don't think, I, I don't think you can generalize the claim that you will always maximize prediction 
with a Hexaco questionnaire versus a Big Five questionnaire, or if you're using the Big Five, the Hexaco model versus a Big Five model. And one recent example that really surprised me was a, a large meta-analysis I was part of using both the Hexaco and the Big Five measures of the Hexaco and the Big Five to predict various measures of well-being. And we found when using the longest form measures, so the 300 item uh, NEO and the, I think it's 260 item, the, the long form version of the Hexaco, that um, the average prediction of well-being measures from both the Edina and the, the Carol Riff uh, tradition it was actually slightly higher consistently with both the factors and the facets of the NEO. And I don't think that demonstrated that the big five or five-factor model was kind of better because it had stronger predictive power. It just seemed to be more useful in that particular context. So I think I agree, but that level of agreement will probably vary across the, the particular context and what it is you're trying to predict. Yeah, it, it does matter what kind of facets are included. And uh, the, the NEO comes more, uh, more from a clinical tradition uh, than from the lexical tradition, although it has also lexical uh, groundings. But certainly, they also took into account uh, some clinical uh, aspects when constructing the NEO. And you find it uh, in, in those uh, the facets that are included in, in the NEO that are not included in, uh, in the Hexaco. And that makes a difference for uh, some of those predictions of uh, things that are associated with uh, well-being and, and maybe also psychopathology. May I maybe just add one very brief further advantage that we haven't touched upon uh, yet. It's difficult to actually distinguish between the measurement and the construct level. But if we just look at the evidence that we have, which is always based on the measures, then one further advantage of the hexaco might be that the factors are less redundant in the sense that they are more independent of each other. The intercorrelations of the six factors are smaller than we do observe that for the big five. And this was also one argument that has been made in favor of the hexaco model that we actually each factor seems to represent more unique variants than the other ones. So maybe that as a very brief and small addition. It depends, of course, on the big five measure, because there are some big five measures that are relatively independent. Uh, Let's say on average. <laughs> yeah, on average yeah. Thank you for this very nuanced discussion. And also, of course, the yeah the, the further discussion on, on the difference between the model, the theory and the the measurement and how a lot of, of the arguments that we can make, of course, uh, is, is dependent on what we're talking about. I do, of course, have the same question about uh, the big five and the strongest arguments that are in favor of that model. And I would now specifically uh, like to ask Isabel and, and Reinhardt to give, in your opinion, the, the strongest arguments for this model. If we look at different criteria that we can use to evaluate basic personality models, one of those is, of course, how parsimonious a model is. And if we use that as an uh, as a criterion, then uh, the big five is, of course, better or it's it's an advantage of the big five. Another advantage probably is um, that we have much more data available on the big five. So in terms of cumulative science, as Colin has mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, we do have a, a much broader knowledge base for the big five as compared to the hexaco model. And that is, of course, one strong argument that can change, of course, if uh, many people will um, adopt the hexaco and use the corresponding measures in their research in the future. But right now, at the moment, 
we might be um, better at making certain predictions or making certain conclusions for the big five trade simply because we have more data available. And maybe actually one, one additional point, and that was also something that uh, Colin mentioned before, there are actually various big five measures available. So we're not restricted in that regard. It, it is an advantage on the one hand and a disadvantage on the other hand, because of course, um, we also know that not every big five measure measures the big five or, or the same constructs. There are often slight differences, but nonetheless, we do have all those measures and multiple of them are well validated. And so um, maybe the conclusions that we can draw are not conclusions that apply to one particular operationalization of the concepts, but we can actually see whether the findings replicate across different measures of the big five. And this is something that we can't really do right now for um, the Hexaco simply because most of the research, the vast majority, has been based on uh, Hexaco PIR related measures. Yeah, that's a nice point. It is important to have our knowledge about constructs be about the constructs rather than about specific measures of the constructs. And until you have multiple measures, you can't tell which is which, really. I could add probably a couple of things to the reasons why one might prefer the big five. One of them is that I think that there is a fair amount of evidence to suggest that when we go to sets of personality measures that are outside of the lexicon, that are uh, away from these collections of adjectives in uh, natural language, or the questionnaires that are based directly on those lexical analyses, that then we tend to see a structure that is more close to the big five rather than the six-factor model. For example, in psychopathology research, there is increasingly a recognition that uh, the structure of covariation of symptoms of psychopathology is very similar to the pattern of covariation among personality traits. The major dimensions of psychopathology are very similar and essentially representing, you know, like extreme and maladaptive versions of normal personality dimensions. Um, and there in that research, you typically do not see a separation of factors that looks like Hexaco. What you see is something that looks uh, more like the big five, though with openness uh, mapping on a factor that's related to psychosis, slightly less directly parallel. But for the other four dimensions, you basically get the same, uh, the same structure that you get out of the big five. So it's useful, you know, and this may come back to what Reinhardt was saying about the clinical orientation. Uh, for people who are interested in clinical research and in making these connections bet between normal personality and psychopathology, uh, the Big Five seems to be uh, to be better at that, to be uh, sort of better for mapping between those two things. Although it's also it's not true just in psychopathology; it's also true in measures that are based on or in studies that are based on large collections of uh, questionnaire assessments rather than adjective-based assessments. So these you know longer phrase-based. Uh, measures. The challenge with that kind of research, of course, is that it's hard to get a relatively unbiased collection of measures, you know, that weren't originally based on the big five in some way. But I do know a couple of relatively large studies that have done that. They have found a big five structure rather than a six factor structure. And then the, the second main reason that I would say that I prefer the big five is that I think that the way in which they group the traits together maps better onto these underlying uh, psychological, neurobiological mechanisms uh, that we know are, you know, crucial for human functioning in general. So, for example, uh, when you're in the Hexaco model, if you're looking at negative emotion or negative affect, then the measures of that are spread out across three different dimensions and blended with other traits. 
Uh, whereas if you're in the big five context, then all of those measures of negative emotion uh, that are linked to threat sensitivity and punishment sensitivity in the underlying brain systems there, uh, all of those are collected within neuroticism. And now certainly you may still want to break them down into facets and look at different kinds of threat and different kinds of negative emotion, but you can do that obviously within a hierarchical approach to the big five. And so to me that, that link to things like uh, reward sensitivity, punishment sensitivity, uh, those map more clearly onto the big five. And so that's one reason that I like it personally, just because I'm really invested in neuroscience approaches to personality. Yeah, some of the, the last points you were making about uh, the, the fact that the big five seem to map more readily to some of these underlying processes. Uh, they're the same processes that interest me as well. And that's one of the reasons that I, I guess I've, I've found the, the big five to be more useful uh, to me in that respect. I also wonder, I don't know if it's, it's necessarily a strength, but it, it's certainly something that I've found has made the big five, again, maybe just more useful or interpretable is that it seems to me to map fairly well to some systems from other areas in psychology, a little bit better than the hexco and the ones i'm thinking of are um, dimensions of affect for example are nicely captured they seem to align very well with extroversion and neuroticism i mean one thing that's often not emphasized i think extroversion does look a little different in the in the hexco that's shown nicely by the fact that um, the main correlate of depression in the hexco is low extroversion whereas in uh, the big five it's uh, neuroticism the other example would be that I had in mind just off the top of my head was the interpersonal circumplex. And the axes of that seem to be a very subtle uh, rotation of, of agreeableness and extroversion in the um, big five, but less straightforwardly translated to the hexco. Uh, again, that doesn't make one model better or, or worse necessarily, but it does seem to make it easier to navigate between different research areas and the, the different uh, constructs and frameworks that are used in those areas. While we're mentioning agreeableness, I just realized that we might want to pause for our uh, listeners who aren't very familiar with these models to, to say that there is a factor labeled agreeableness in the big five. There's also a factor labeled agreeableness in Hexaco, but they're not the same construct. So I think this was a slightly unfortunate choice by Ashton and Lee to use the word agreeableness for their factor when it was already used for a different factor in the big five. But uh, the, the Hexaco agreeableness factor actually combines elements of agreeableness and low neuroticism from the big five. So it really is actually a different construct, even though it has the same name. Yeah, yeah, thank you for for clarifying that. Yeah, that's that's good to mention, uh, Colin. And uh, I must admit, uh, I I think uh, the division among those fact factors is actually more optimal uh, because uh, I I think uh, having hostility in the neuroticism uh, uh, factor, well, it's it's uh, certainly if you look at the words uh, agreeableness, uh, hostility. Uh, is certainly something that's opposite from has low on, on the agreeableness factor. And and talking about that, uh, you earlier mentioned uh, if you look at uh, psychopathology data in a paper in in 2012 in the Journal of Personality Disorders, we showed actually if you factor analyze the neo together with the PIT five, that actually you do get seven factors of which one factor is a clear honesty humility factor, one a clear 
agreeableness factors and an additional factor as you mentioned uh, our openness and psychoticism uh, had a split in openness between these uh, these two are are evident in in that data set so you do uh, capture actually uh, separate honesty humility and agreeableness uh, factors when combining different questionnaires even when had the hexaco questionnaire is not involved in uh, in the data set so that's important. But can I just jump in, Renna? Can I jump in yeah. to say something about that particular study? Uh, I've always liked that study, and I think one of the interesting things about it is presented in a footnote in the study because you showed that if you extract only six factors, then the openness and psychoticism uh, factors condense into one, uh, which is exactly what we see in the Big Five literature. Uh, and if you extract only five factors, then the agreeableness and honesty humility factors collapse into one, uh, which again is exactly what you see in the big five literature. And so when you extracted only five factors from those data, you actually saw something that corresponded very well to the big five and also corresponded to the general uh, psychopathology five factor solution that uh, people are typically working with. If you extract also, but that's uh, that's another study where we looked at the PIT uh, five and, and the XCO using cell and other data, then you do see uh, also the, the clear six-factor uh, structure from the hexco. But yeah, so I, I do think, uh, again, of course, had, um, this is a question of how many factors you, you extract. Uh, Content-wise, you do find uh, these clear uh, differences between the, the factors. I, I guess we're all uh, on the same note here. Uh, if you extract fewer factors, you do find some combinations of agreeableness and honesty, humility, and some of the variance of honesty, humility included in an agreeableness factor. I don't think we disagree on that part. Uh, but it's it's important indeed uh, to to note about the di differentiation. What I like also about the uh, Hexco model is the fact that uh, emotionality is much more uh, neutral in terms of social desirability. So I've always uh, disliked actually the term neuroticism from the Big Five model, uh, also in the implication that it has uh, on, on gender differences. Uh, emotionality is, is absolutely neutral uh, with respect to social uh, desirability. And as what's, what is also, if you talk about different combinations with other models, what is nice about the Hexco model is that honesty, humility, and openness to experience map so clearly also on values and, and the political attitudes, which hasn't been mapped well by big five factor, at least much, much less well than the Hexco does. So talking about mapping uh, onto other models, then this, this Schwarz value model uh, with the two factors of self-transcendence versus self-enhancement and the other factor, uh, uh, conservation versus uh, openness to change, maps very well on the Hexco model. I would say that there has been a good mapping of the Big Five onto political attitudes. Uh, we know that uh, conservative versus liberal is associated with lower openness and higher uh, conscientiousness. Uh, and then some of my own research that's been uh, replicated in um, in New Zealand, in Canada, in the U.S. shows that if you break down agreeableness into two of its subcomponents, then you see that conservatives are more polite, but liberals are less polite, whereas liberals are more compassionate, but conservatives are less compassionate. So again, with either system, as long as you are willing to look at multiple levels of the hierarchy, I think you can map uh, any of these phenomena quite well.
thank you so much for this very lively discussion about strengths of these models, but also uh, already touching on weaknesses or maybe things that are still unresolved or or still need to be examined in, in greater detail. And that also brings me to the question of what are the next steps that we should be taking? What are the issues that we should be tackling in terms of these specific models, but maybe also more generally about trade models? Just one thing I was reflecting on as we were talking about this and, and, and also what I've thought of in the past when um, there's, there's this call by advocates of the HEXCO that we need to not only have both models out there, but um, we really need to um, start strongly preferring the HEXCO and abandoning the big five and building up all of that data um, so that we have, you know, that we don't have this potential problem where most of the data we can meta-analyze, meta for example, is big five. Um, and the reflection I had was that I think when, when I was a, a student in personality, British tradition was quite strong in Australia and I did my postdoc in the UK and it was ISENG CPQ that was, in my mind, the, the, the dominant uh, model at the time. I, I clearly hadn't read widely enough at, <laughs> at that point in time because I think it, it, it shouldn't have been, but certainly in my circles it was. And I think we did need to, to move on from that. I think the limitations of the EPQ compared to the big five were, were really quite strong. Um, the psychoticism factor, whether you talk about the questionnaire or the construct, it was a complete mess. There was clearly very important things being left out. That would be an example where, and there are other examples you could draw on, but that, that's where I would suggested, yeah, we, we kind of needed to move on for them. It's probably better uh, that people aren't using the um, measures like the EPQ and, and Isenkian measures. I think now we're in this position where advocates of the hexago may be viewing it quite similarly, that we've, we've actually made an incremental improvement. We really need to move on from the, the big five because this has these uh, the Hexaco has um, some advantages above it. But my view is that the, the similarities are so great and the, the advantages are not sufficiently persuasive to me that I don't think that is the... So I, so I where this leads to in answering your question is that I think that the wrong direction would be to continue to try to uphold one model as being uh, superior and which should be the default and the other one shouldn't be used. And I think um, as opposed to more research translating between the two and, and working out uh, in which contexts one is more useful uh, than the other is, is the direction I think things should be going with this particular debate, which hasn't been the case for some other debates of these kind in the past, where I think it, it really made sense to abandon one and, and, and move to another. I agree with uh, what you said, Luke, that we should have a look at um, the context, which of the two models serves a better purpose, so to say, or is more useful regarding the, the criteria you might have. And I think with this goal in mind, there should be more collaboration between people who call themselves the Hexaco advocates or the Big Five uh, advocates or proponents or whatever. There should be more communication, more collaboration. Maybe it's adversarial, so uh, we will figure that out, I guess. But it shouldn't be like two groups of people who do separate work, but maybe we can somehow 
figure out how to do some uh, research together and to actually answer questions that these two groups now have and work on in isolated ways, maybe we can actually find ways together and thereby also improving our knowledge and personality science in general. Um, and there was, for example, one comment that I recently read again. So there was this Target article by Mike Ashton and Kibom Lee in the European Journal of Personality, I think three years ago now, 2020. And there were also several comments on this Target article. And there was one comment uh, made by Boris Egloff from uh, Mainz. And he actually, I think, had a very nice idea because he said, well, what you should do is to do a great behavior prediction challenge. Uh, so define certain uh, behavioral criteria, a representative set of behaviors. Of course, that's also difficult to find. But in any case, um, try to do that and then see which models performs best for which kind of criterion, meaning in which context. And maybe that would be a starting point and then also have different people derive different conclusions or different hypotheses in the first place. And then we can see whether we also derive at the same conclusions. And maybe that's one way to go in the future. And maybe some people now feel motivated to do that kind of research in the future. I think that's a really nice idea. And uh, I think the, the challenging part of it, of course, is to figure out how to operationalize the two models because uh, there's no limit on the number of facets that you could use in either of the models. And so you could just keep adding facets uh, ad infinitum and you know eventually both of them would be able to pre predict the same things. Of course, when as you were saying earlier, as you aggregate them into either five or six factors, then you're going to see differences in prediction. And so that might be the real value of the study to see when aggregating according to the big five model is more useful versus when aggregating according to uh, the Hexaco model is more useful. I'm also glad you mentioned that special issue in the European Journal of Personality, because if anyone listening is interested in reading more about my own perspective on this debate between Hexaco and the big five, I, I also published a commentary uh, in that uh, issue and it's available on my website. I know I already spoke, but I just wanted to add something relevant to what uh, you both said. That I mean, I, I personally am surprised that there are not more uh, Hexco uh, measures available. And this seems to me to be a really important agenda that I'm a little puzzled that nobody's taken that up because it does seem to be quite a limitation. There's actually, uh, there was a project that a PhD student and, and I did recently, which uh, had to do with looking at how, how you could locate different standalone scales within the space of the big five. And we initially wanted to do it with the hexagon as well for tedious methodological reasons that I won't bother getting into. It, it was complicated to do so just because of there wasn't a variety of sufficiently independent hexagon measures that we could draw on. And it's a, it's a problem when you are not sure um, whether the uh, results that tend that, that appear to favor the hexco model in a particular context are not just reflecting a, a, a just a very well made good you know questionnaire that's got great psychometric properties and so forth so i think that's a really important agenda i'm not a scale developer but if i if i were someone working in that space uh, um, i would see that as being a, a really important goal for the, the coming years Luke, on that topic, I think it's really important to put in a plug for a questionnaire that was designed by Amber Thalmeyer and Gerard Saussier called the Questionnaire Big Six, 
which is also based on that same lexical research that led to to Hexaco and you know measures a six factor structure that's parallel. So that would be one way to get more uh, assessment of uh, of Hexaco constructs out there. I think. But there are also important differences between the measures. So I wouldn't say they are the same. But anyways, that's for a different podcast probably. Sure, but probably that's just the way that some big five measures are slightly different from each other also. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that's it. That's, and I think that's also a huge problem in, in the big five literature. I mean, which measure are you going to select? And some of these dimensions or trade domains, they, they correlate only 0.30 with each other. And that's that's a huge problem. So which big five measure you use actually also affects uh, the kind of outcomes you're going to get. Uh, and and of course, that's then uh, I agree that it would be good to have different measures. There is actually uh, a simplified uh, version of the hex code uh, uh, that can also be used for, for children, the SPI, uh, Simplified Personality Inventory for the Hexaco. Uh, and there's the IPIP version, of course, of the Hexaco, which is also uh, somewhat uh, different. But I agree that different measures might be good or actually to look at what facets you can add to uh, to the models. And, and that's what I would call on people, had both for the Big Five and for the Hexco, to look at what uh, additional facets can we develop. And not only as pure measures of those dimensions, but we also have to look at uh, the interstitial facets. And of course, there are uh, circumplex models, uh, the big five circumplex models and, and instruments around. I think we should have more agreement on these facets of, I, I would say, the hexaco model. Big five people would say the big five uh, model and then see what kind of overlap and where. And then you could also see which facets are actually might be missing in the big five that are included in the hexaco model because they don't fall in this uh, big five circumplex uh, space. Maybe it's more of a question, but don't you think that when you're talking about facets to some degree, you don't have to um, ask about facets within either model. I mean, the, the facets, if they're narrow enough, you're just talking about the trait universe. You're talking about the, the space that you're actually wanting to map. So when generating the facets, you could do that um, independently of whichever framework or even if you didn't subscribe to either or and then questions about both frameworks could be asked using the same uh, pool of facets i guess that was a it was a bit of a question is that how other people think about it but that, that's how i think about it works for me but it would be good to have some uh, agreement also on on facets that we're going to use uh, for both of these models and to expand that uh, space as well uh, and, and that's uh, what i would call upon seems to like we have quite a few calls so there seems to be a lot of work still to be done on the measurement side maybe also on the conceptual side uh, but what is also really nice to hear is this call for maybe not big five versus hexaco but especially also work that that looks at big five and hexaco together complementary uh, so that, I think that's a very nice message to end the podcast with. So thank you all so much for being here today and, and for uh, engaging in a very lively discussion. Thank you, Lisanne, for the invitation. Yeah, thanks, uh, Lisanne. Thanks for putting this together. It was fun. Yeah, thanks very much. After the session in which we debated the Hexco versus Big Five model, we received a question about the facets of these models. 
In particular, the question we received was, the big five in Hexaco are similar enough that evidence can be synthesized across them. How do we get the field to have a similar generalish agreement about facets or aspects so that we can start systematically accruing evidence in a space above nuances and below domains? This question was already tackled partially in our episode. However, Luke was kind enough to share some additional thoughts. One way we could make some progress in this area is by making more of an effort to locate standalone scales within the space described by the Big Five or the Hexaco. Uh, so what I mean by a standalone scale is something like uh, Angela Duckworth's grit or Carver and White's Bespass scales. These trait scales that we often assess independently of the Big Five or the Hexaco. Uh, I think many of these could be regarded as facets of the Big Five or Hexaco or, or indeed both. My recent PhD student, Tim Bainbridge, uh, developed a method for evaluating standalone scales as potential facets of the Big Five. He took a sampling of about 40 scales from the literature based on how highly they were cited and some other criteria, and concluded that around 70 to 80% of those 40 scales um, overlapped with the Big Five to the same degree as a already known and uh, accepted facet of the Big Five. So that could be one method by which we, rather than developing scales and having them sort of floating uh, in the literature separately from the Big Five, the Hexco, and, and indeed um, any other framework, uh, when we develop a scale, we could quite explicitly locate it within our main taxonomic frameworks, such as the Big Five or the Hexco, and, and identify them as, as facets of those models. So if people are interested in that method that uh, Tim used, um, look for Bainbridge and colleagues um, published in JPSP about a year ago.